Happy New Year. Hard to believe 2011 is here, but it is. And with that is a new year. And with that comes the topic of New Year's resolutions. This week I did a little Google search on the computer and found the top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2011. The funny thing is they look an awful lot like the top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2010 and 2009. I'll go through them real quickly. Lose weight. Help the family lose weight. Get a job or a better job. Number four, quit smoking. Number five, fall in love. Number six, enjoy life. Number seven, get organized. Number eight, spend more time with your family. Number nine, help others. And then number ten is kind of a different uh, different resolution, run a marathon. I'm not sure where that came from, but a lot of people are making that resolution to run a marathon this year. So what do we think about New Year's resolutions? A lot of us make them. Do, uh, do they really make a difference? Do you know that 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions every year or almost every year? Uh, something like 38% never set New Year's resolutions. Um, how many of you in the last five years have set a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand if you have. Raise your hand right now. So keep your hands up in the air. How many of you have kept that New Year's resolution? Just one of them. Anybody? Okay. Of all the resolutions that are made last week, this week for 2011, only 8% will be kept in their hands. 8% only. And yet, that is what most people think of when they think of the new year. They think of setting resolutions, they think of making a change, they think of doing something different. Uh, the new year is upon us. This morning, real quickly, I don't have a long sermon, and I know all of God's people are probably saying amen to that, but I do want to spend the next several minutes helping us to think about 2011 in our church, in you, whether you're a member or a tender, or maybe you're a visitor. Maybe you're here because this is part of your New Year's resolution. You want to get more connected with church or more connected with the Lord. I want to share with you three focuses. I'm not calling them resolutions because I don't want there to be any question about whether or not it's something we want to be a part of or or something that we can have success with or not. But I want to share with you three major focuses that I have for us as a body of believers for this year. And I want to let you know how this came about. One of our members sent me an email probably almost three weeks ago and just said that she wanted to pray for me on a regular basis and specifically wanted to know where my heart was as it relates to our church for next year, 2011. And so I didn't respond right away. I thought about it. I prayed about it. um, And I really came up in my response to her three things that I want to be passionate about, three areas that I want to be focused on as we move into the new year. And here they are, focusing on God's Word, focusing on God's commission, and focusing on what our is um, as a church and in life in many ways. And I'm going to deal with these in inverted order. So we're going to start with what I'm calling focus A, focus on our purpose, focusing on our purpose. Well, you have to understand that as a church, we have a purpose statement. Some people would call it a mission statement. How many of you know our purpose statement? Anybody? Okay, okay. We exist to glorify God, to win the lost, and to keep the saved. If 
you've been here for any amount of time at all, you know that at least once a year we hand out the high five card and we challenge you to write down the names of people in your life that are not Christians and to pray for them. But on the other side of that card, we challenge you also to memorize and to live out our purpose. And we exist to glorify God, to win the lost, and to keep you safe. And so focus number one as we dive into this new year is I want us to be focused on our purpose more than ever. I want you to be focused on our purpose more than ever. And I say what I'm about to say next with a lot of grace, and I hope it doesn't offend you. Uh, But if it does offend you, maybe you need to ask, why is this an offensive statement? But we have to stop majoring in the minor. We have to stop letting the little things that really have no eternal significance at all, we have to stop letting them have the majority of our time and our energy and our thought process. So I want to just ask you to join me in 2011 and to make a priority for our time next year. I make a commitment to you today as your minister of preaching and teaching and and in conjunction with the other ministers and the staff, we are going to focus on just one thing in 2011. Now some of you are saying, does that mean I can't complain anymore? I I know that you will still complain some, and that's okay. It's part of being a human being. But I want you to know going in, or I want to challenge you to going in, focus on what really matters most. This may be the last year that you have on this earth. This may be the last year that I have on this earth. I hope not, but it may very well be. And as we dive into 2011, I want us to be focused on our purpose more than ever. Focus A. Let's move on. Focus B. I want us to focus on outreach more than ever. Focus on outreach more than ever. Almost three years ago, April of 2008, Dr. Don Green from Lincoln Christian at the time college, now it's Lincoln Christian University, came over, and he led us through an all-church assessment. How many of you remember the Sunday morning that we did the survey? Many of you were a part of that. Over 430 people from our church took that survey on a Sunday morning. We didn't have the sermon that day, and it was like 130 questions. It took about 25 minutes to complete that survey. And then he came back five weeks later, and he did a presentation for us. And many of you were here that day during the Bible school hour. He was up on this stage, and he gave us kind of an overview of who we are, a self-assessment of our church. Don took the ministry staff out to supper the Friday night of the assessment weekend, the weekend that he was coming to bring the report. And and he told uh, Adam and Ernie and myself over supper that night, he said, you know, normally when I'm called into situations, Churches are in a, a crisis mode in many ways. And he said, many of the times when I arrive in a city or a town and I, I take the staff out to supper on that Friday night, I have a lot of bad news. It's a lot of hard news. And he said, I am so excited because that's not the case for First Christian Church of Christ. He said, so much of what I'm going to share on Sunday morning is encouraging. It's uplifting. But he said, I want you to know there are a couple areas of concern. And I want you to know you must these areas of concern seriously. They could make all the difference in the future of your church 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. The number one area of concern that he poured out for us on that Friday night that he shared with us on that Sunday morning was he said, way too many people at First Christian Church in Corinth do evangelism 
to see it as the preacher's job, the minister's job, the elder's job, the, the other Christian's job. They don't see it as their calling. They don't see it as their just job. And, and yet, Matthew 28, let's put that next scripture up on the screen. Matthew 28 clearly says that our call is to go and to make disciples. That means we need to make disciples in Clinton, Illinois. That means we need to make disciples in DeWitt County. That means we need to make disciples throughout the world. And so this year, the second area, I guess I would say, of focus that I want you to have attention to is this area of my life. It's this area of God's commission on my life and on your life. As you look around in your neighborhood, as you look around at your school that you go to, at your employer, if you look around at your workplace, the next time you're at the football game, or the basketball game, and you survey the stands. My guess is, if you really truly had an understanding of where people were spiritually, there'd be far more people that are not in a relationship with Jesus than are in a relationship with Jesus. And right or wrong, good or bad, the reality is this. The person that probably has the best chance to lead your neighbor to the Lord person that probably has the best chance to lead your spouse or your child or your parent or your family member to the Lord probably isn't you. It's you. And so as we dive into 2011, I want us to have a passion to share our faith more than ever. We've tried to introduce the last several weeks what we've called e-spots. We've challenged many of you to take door hangers, and I know many of you did that, and you put door hangers on your neighbor's doors. And I know many of you kind of stepped outside your comfort zone and you invited co-workers or, or neighbors or family members to come to Christmas Eve service or to come to the one service Sunday. I want you to know that wasn't just a one-time deal. We're going to be challenging you through all of 2011 to get outside your comfort zone and to share your faith in a great and a powerful way. I read an illustration this week that I love. The power one person can make. And it comes from the state of California, actually from the University of California at Berkeley, a very liberal, progressive university. Um, In his book, The Enormous Exception, Earl Palmer tells the story of a pre-med undergrad student who became a Christian through a series of events and interactions that helped him move beyond the doubt that he had about faith and about the Lord. He writes that he was a student pre-med, and he was hit with a terrible bout of the flu, and he had to miss 10 straight days of class. And during this critical absence, uh, his organic chemistry class was the class he was worried the most about. And a classmate stepped up unsolicited to him and said that he had collected all the missed lecture notes and all the assignments that had been handed out, and he gave them to this person that he barely knew. Then the Christian friend took time from his own studies to help this person catch up with the rest of the class, and the student went on and was able to get a very good grade in that class. Years later, this pre-med student, who is now a committed Christian, told Earl Palmer, you know that this isn't just done in today's age. He says, I wouldn't have probably done it myself, but my friend gave me help without any fanfare or complaining. I wanted to know what made my friend tick, 
what made my son act the way he did, and I found myself asking him before long if I could go to church with him. Palmer concludes the best tribute that he ever heard concerning a Christian was the tribute spoken of this student. I felt more alive when I was alone in the church. And so I want to challenge you this year more than ever to be salt and to be light. I think it would be incredible if as people interacted with us in our community at places like restaurants and ball games and cookouts and whatever it may be, parades, whatever may take place, that people looked at you and your life and they said, different about that person. There's something different about that person. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. This year more than ever, look for opportunities to live your life in the spirit of Christ. Focus number three. Focus C. Focus on God's Word. Focus on God's Word. Um, as you know, we, we've really pushed B98, this 90 days of devotion. And just so you know, every week as we go through this together, it starts tomorrow morning. Every week, I'm going to be preaching from a text that you have read the week before. Next week, we're going to look at the story of Jacob and Esau from the book of Genesis. And on and on and on. I've got the whole sermon planned, the whole sermon series planned out. But as you do this, I want you to know, I'm not doing this so I can write to Ted Cooper of the Bible in 90 days and say, Hey, Ted, we sold 140 Bibles. Or, Hey, Ted, we have 200 people reading through the Bible in that's awesome. That's something to feel good about. That's not why we're doing this. I'm doing this because I absolutely believe with all my heart that God still speaks to His written word. I know because it's happened to me. And I promise you, I promise you that if you dive into God's word these next three months, you will never be the same. Never. Let me give you five scriptures real quickly. They're in your bulletin as well. I'm not going to say a lot about them, but a biblical basis for why God's Word is so important. Psalm 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Colossians 3 says, Let the Word of God dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in your hearts to God. I heard a, a football coach this week talk about why they have the out, the professional football coaches have the, the work hours that they do. Many of them work 20 hours a day. They watch hundreds and thousands of hours of game tape. And they said after a while, that's all we think about. And we get into a situation and we remember this play. It dwells in us. It lives in us. How awesome would it be if instead of football coach or basketball coach or whatever it may be, if the Word of God had that place in your heart, in your life, can you imagine how incredible that would be? Let's move on. Hebrews 4 says, The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And then finally, James 1. I'm actually going to preach on this text as we conclude our series the first Sunday in April. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
of the things I love about the Christian church, and again, I, I'm a total insider. I've been a part of the Christian church my whole life, from my first Sunday on this earth to today. And one of the things I love about our background, the Stone Campbell movement, when you go back and you read from guys like Alexander Campbell and Martin W. Stone and Walter Scott, they had such a passion to get God's people in the Word. They were known as a people of the Book. I want us to be known as a people of the Book. A people that read God's Word, a people that study God's Word, a people that live God's Word. Now let me give you some highlights for the rest of the year, because I don't want you to think this is just a three-month deal. We are doing B90X starting tomorrow through the 1st of April. Uh, Wednesday nights in February, we're going to be doing walk through the New Testament. How many of you went through walk through the Old Testament last year? Several of you did. Doug Merrick will be back with us. It's going to be a great way to really master the New Testament. Uh, I'm doing a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, five-week series, during the month of May. I'm doing that in conjunction with five other preachers. We're, and you'll hear more about this in the, in the months to come, but we're going to study together each week. We're going to write sermons together each week. Uh, my, my preaching will probably improve incredibly, would be my guess, during that time. And then number four, uh, this fall on Sunday morning, we're going to look at the Minor Prophets. And we're going to take 12 weeks and look at each of the Minor Prophets. Norma Harold did the study for the Sunday school class. She said it was absolutely incredible. Here's an implication you learned this morning. If you accept this challenge, your life will never be the same. Well, I want to conclude real quickly this morning with just some tips and suggestions. And somebody came up to me just recently and said, is it really possible to read through the Bible in 90 days? And I said, it is possible, and it's very doable, because I did it not once but twice in 2010. And I don't say that to brag to you today. I say that to let you know that if I can do it, you can do it. And I want to let you know one other thing. I never did my reading here at the church during office hours. A lot of people say, well, you could go to the office and read to your heart's content. I never did that. I did that at home in the morning. Um, I have a Kindle that reads to me, so sometimes when I was driving, I would let the Kindle read to me. It is very, very possible to make this happen. So with that, let me give you six suggestions. Number one, I want to challenge you to read every day, no matter what. I know you're busy. I'm busy. Get tied up. There were nights that I got in my bed at 1130 at night and I had to rest. And I would get up and maybe I'd just read a chapter or two. But I wanted to be able to think every day I spent some time in God's Word. And I would challenge you to do the same. Number two, try to get ahead early. How many of you have already started? I know some of you have. That's awesome. And that's good. These first couple books that we're going through, Genesis and Exodus, um, they're exciting. They're narrative-driven. And you may get tomorrow, for instance, you're going to read Genesis 1 through Genesis, the middle of uh, chapter 16. And you may get to the middle of chapter 16, and you may say, I don't want to stop here. Guess what I would say? Don't stop. Keep reading. Get ahead if you can. It will benefit you in the long run. Number three, you will have questions. Some of you have already called me or emailed me or texted me with questions. That's good. Don't get hung up on your questions. Write them down. Maybe have a little journal page as you read. Come back later and spend time with them. But don't think of this as a three-hour process where I'm going to read a page and then spend 20 minutes contemplating. That's not what this is about. Read the 12 pages. Write the questions as you go. Then come back and tackle those questions. Number four, I've started a blog. I said I would never blog. I lied. I have a blog. It's actually our blog. It's the B90X blog. That's the address. We're going to publish it. You can Google search it and find it as well. Every morning, I'm going to blog on the reading for that day. And I really want you all to respond. I have three friends that 
started blogs, and they all quit them because they said no one ever shared comments. They never responded. I want to hear what you're absorbing as you read through God's Word as well. Number five, encourage one another. I can't say that enough. Um, I've done it twice on my own. And there were times I needed encouragement from others. And I'd encourage you to be an encouragement to one another. And then number six, view B90X as a marathon, not as a sprint. Okay? In a sprint, we think I'm going to hurry up and do this and get it out of the way and I'm going to be done. This is a three-month, 88-day journey through God's Word. So if you get a little behind, that's okay. Catch up. If you get a little ahead, feel good about that. But stay consistent every day in God's Word. The last thing I want to do, and then I'm going to pray, is I want to share with you from the 90-day Bible a prayer that they encourage you to pray every day. And if you didn't buy the Bible, if you're just doing the reading plan and you want this prayer, I will get this for you. But they encourage that we pray, encourage us to pray this prayer every day before we read. Here's what it says. Gracious Father, thank you for the gift that I hold in my hand. May your Spirit fill me and interpret your precious words for me as I read them. In your Son's name I pray. Amen. This year is going to be a great year at Grace Christian Church. As we focus on purpose, as we focus on outreach, as we focus on God's Word. Let's pray. God, thank you for today and the chance to uh, to talk about the new year. And Father, thank you for, for the hope that we have because of your faith in us. I pray that 2011 is the best year in the history of Grace Christian Church. Not for my glory, not for our glory, but for your glory. I pray that more and more people will have a desire to know more about Jesus and His Son. Thank you so much for the hope we have. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And that's our prayer for each and every one of us here today. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, we invite you in Christ. If you've not placed your membership here at First Christian Church, you're interested in knowing more about First Christian Church, we invite you to come forward. Greg will be up here, and I'll be up here as well. Christ, be the center.